0: Where are we fortunate in Cambridge? And it is that we have the resources to put into these funds. And that's important for me for two reasons. The first is it puts us in control of our own destiny. Remember that Silicon Valley turned down Google. The whole of the industry and venture capital turned down Greg Winter and his monoclonal antibody ideas for drugs. Those ideas went forward because of luck more than anything they bumped into people who cut them their first checks and i don't think we can allow the ideas to sort of actually falter on sort of the lack of getting lucky
1: tony raven the chief executive of cambridge enterprise at university of cambridge of course knows a thing or two about launching funds having helped to create both IP Group and Cambridge Innovation Capital. He joins us today to also talk about abandoning long-held beliefs in the workplace and the importance of running a tech transfer
0: operation worthy of the Cambridge brand.
1: Tony, thank you for joining us on the podcast today.
0: Hi, Therese. and It's great pleasure. I've been looking back through the uh, illustrious uh, line of people you've had on these postcards, so it's, it's uh, quite an honor to be here.
1: We've been very lucky so far with people that have been able to join us. Yes. To start with, maybe you can give us a brief overview of Cambridge Enterprises' work,
0: maybe give us some key figures. Where to start and how to describe us. And I think uh, probably the, uh, let's start from the outside and work in, because we sit in a very unique ecosystem, which is of tremendous contribution to what we do. And I think when you think Cambridge is a city of 130,000 people, that we have uh, over five thousand high tech companies here turning over over eighteen billion pounds a year and employing sixty thousand people. If you just look at that in context, the university's research budget is a touch under six hundred million, and the tax take for government on that cluster is around six billion, so ten times. so it sort of really shows the sort of uh, what this can do if we do it correctly. but uh, if I start from the university in then. We start always from the university mission, and as one of the top universities in the world at research and teaching, most people would expect that would be its mission. But in fact, if you read our mission statement, it's to uh, contribute to society using brackets, the tools of, close brackets, research and teaching at uh, the highest levels of international excellence. So, The whole whole of it is is driven by this, and and probably the biggest contribution of the university is sending educated graduates out into the the world, into the workplace, to take the knowledge out uh, with them. And Cambridge Enterprise is responsible for a very specific portion of that uh, benefit to society, and that's where we use commercial tools to, to create the benefit. So what does that mean? Well, our academics do a lot of consultancy for external organizations, and we take care of all the back office administration for them, so the contracts, the billings, etc. so they can concentrate on doing the bit they want to do, which is transferring their knowledge and not get bogged down in the rest of it. And that, for us, is actually a very important part of our activity because we interact with more academics that way than in any other channel. And it creates a sort of a great community of people who have a very good experience who then sort of are very positive and start to use all the other activities we do. So what are those other activities? Well, one part of it is the traditional technology transfer. And that's where we work with the academics, work out which of their ideas is worth protecting and taking forward, putting in place patents, and then going out to industry to see um, if anyone is interested in taking them up. Our problem, as with many other leading universities, is industry is not too interested most of the time because it's too early, it's too high risk, it's too disruptive. And so rather than let those ideas die, the university has put in place for us seed funds so that we can take those out through the vehicle of of a new company founded by the academics to get it out there. And fortunately, our judgment has shown over time that actually our judgment of the future is a bit better than industry of the day because a number of those have gone on to be very successful companies so that's sort of uh, the essence of what we do and you asked for some numbers and some key figures and i i'm not a great uh, fan of figures and metrics and kpis and all the rest of it because i don't think they apply very well to this business it's the same thing that these very early ideas are not sort of open to sort of detailed Investigation and analysis. So, what to say? Our key figures are that um, is actually how our academic community perceives us, and we do a, we do a survey of that academic community as a measure of how we are performing. And uh, if I if I look at that, we survey all five thousand researchers. Twenty seven percent of them responded, which, if you've done the surveys, you'll know is a phenomenal response rate. Sixty eight percent. Said they know what we do. So our awareness out there is good. 27% have worked with us. And the most important one for us is 92% of that 27% said they would recommend us to a peer or a colleague. And, And that's the thing, which sort of, because for us, no matter how much websites, brochures, all the rest that we do, social media, actually, word of mouth is our most effective marketing tool. So having a large community out there of people who've worked with us who are very positive about it and talk positively to their friends and colleagues is really sort of, I think, the measure of the success of the team I, I work with. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's very impressive. I, um, I did find some, uh, some figures on your website. It said, I think it, it coincided with you taking over as CEO in, in 2011 as well, venture funding capacity has grown by 730%. The number of spin-outs has gone up by 250%. And your consultancy support services increased by 90%. Do you have a secret that you would like to share with people how you did that, how, how you managed to increase that success rate?
0: I don't think it's a secret. I mean, first thing I have to acknowledge is the creativity of our academic community. What they come up with is phenomenal. And I, I was very lucky uh, because Cambridge Enterprise was formed in its current incarnation in 2006. And Terry Wiley uh, my predecessor put a lot of work into getting a really good team together, and I think um, the success really is down to that team because i haven 't done a single one of those deals. <laughs> <laughs> they're the people that have have done the deals have made it all happen, and the support we 've had from the university, and again, have to recognise that we are very fortunate in Cambridge and we have a university that is well endowed and is uh, very positive about. Uh, this activity and and uh, and supports it strongly. So which bits have I done? I guess I would say what I've done is, is helped to create an environment where that team can be as good as they can be. And I think the, the key things I set when I came in was, first of all, a focus on what we do, do what we do very well. The second is that if we're a university like Cambridge, we should have an ambition worthy of a university like Cambridge. And that Second part meant that we actually had to have the resources to compete with the Stanfords and MITs and others of this world. And that's where now, sort of, um, our ability to fund our seed fund our companies to the same level as they would get uh, from other leading universities in places like Silicon Valley, et cetera, really make, has really made the difference. And of course, there's always a bit of luck. We've had course, some good luck yeah. along the way.
1: <laughs> that never hurts. We'll get to the to the seed funds in, in a second as well, but how has the pandemic affected your work? Has it affected your work? Has it changed the inventions you 've come you 've seen come out of research
0: labs well it, it, it's affected us uh, massively and not at all <laughs> that 's a paradox, and obviously it 's massively in that at today 's notice we had to switch completely to working from home of course which is is a completely new uh, environment for a lot of people, and I think it's also um, It's also very difficult for some because those of us who have a room where we can do this, we're not sharing a kitchen table in a a shared flat, and things like that. I think sort of the way that everyone in the business has responded to this massive change has been phenomenal, really humbling. But in terms of, of the business, it's business as usual there and thereabouts. And that's, for me, is fascinating because both oral Praxis Oral and uh, AUTM Autumn have done surveys of uh, the community, and something like 90% of us are finding it's uh, business as normal or more business, with only 10% finding less. So there's something about characteristics about um, this sector, which was a complete surprise to me. I was looking for sort of the early signs that things were going to turn down, but um, we had a same with Oxford, we had a slight pause in consultancy new uh, things coming in in april may and then june july it uh, came back on track so that that's been really surprising for us but i think for me it's been fantastic across the sector to see how sort of we often talk about how do we work better with business particularly but to see the way that sort of universities business and government have come together in that fabled triple helix around the pandemic i think is really phenomenal and i keep on saying if how can we unleash that sort of purpose at a time when we don't have a pandemic to drive it and being part of it as well? Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot going on directly with the university and, uh, and uh, the outside world, but the things we're involved with. So um, the genome sequencing, which Cambridge Enterprise was uh, a seed funder of um, now, that technology dominates all the genomics, which is going into this uh, We've had the diagnostics company repurposed itself very quickly and uh, was then sort of uh, sponsored by a philanthropic um, high net worth individual to put its systems into frontline sort of very far very rapid point- of care diagnostics for the, uh, for the COVID wards. and we've had uh, well, Oxford has had a big program in vaccines. One of our new spin-out companies has just got funded for its novel synthetic uh, Approach to vaccine development. So to be part of that and be part of that community and keeping very active, I think, is 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 fantastic. But the other side of it, I think, you asked about sort of how that might change us in the long term. And I think we're definitely seeing changes. Geography has evaporated for us. Nine to five has evaporated for us. A lot of these things and long term beliefs that there are things that could only be done in the office have all evaporated because we've had to them in other ways so I think it'd be very interesting we're still sort of grappling with how do we deal with this new style of working and particularly the sort of uh, social interactions the serendipitous uh, events um, the water cooler conversations how do we do that in this new world but I'm sure we won't go back to the way we were working it'll be different but in ways we haven't yet uh, unraveled.
1: I am very glad to hear that you, you are among the 90% that hasn't seen a, a downturn in business. That's, I mean, I wasn't expecting anything else from from Cambridge, of, of course, but yeah, always good to hear that uh, people are still very busy. I can count on the number of people who have fundamentally changed the funding landscape for spin in the UK in one hand. In fact, only Dave Norwood comes to mind from IP Group and Oxford Sciences Innovation. I believe you actually work with Beeson Gregory on their model for uh, financing spinouts through IP Group as well. And then, of course, uh, you mentioned Cambridge Enterprise Seed Funds, led by Anne de Bray and Cambridge Innovation Capital, led by Andrew Williamson. What is your view of the funding landscape in the UK today? And is there anything that is missing or needs changing still?
0: Yes, and I have to say it was great fun in those days with Dave Norwood and Chris Wright and John Davis and Spike Wilcox, sort of uh, actually working out how we did this in their first venture into uh, into investment funds. But uh, and I think that's uh, it's been good to see how that's that's developed. And I think going back to where, where are we fortunate in Cambridge? And it is that we have the resources to put into these funds. And that's important for me for two reasons. The first is it puts us in control of our own destiny. Remember that Silicon Valley turned down Google, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the whole of the industry and venture capital turned down Greg uh, Winter and his uh, monoclonal antibody ideas for drugs. And those ideas went forward because of luck. More than anything, they bumped into people who cut them their first checks. And I don't think we can allow sort of the ideas to sort of actually falter on sort of the lack of getting lucky. And so a big part of it is make sure that if we believe in something, we can take it forward without permission from anybody else. So, uh, but I think there are lots of places around the country which have equal opportunity but they don't have access to capital. And I think that is our big problem in the UK. If you look at the early stage investment capital, it is very, very limited. And if you look at its geographic distribution, we have great universities up in the north, the northeast particularly. But you look at the data on the amount of early stage venture capital which goes into those parts of the country, it's minimal, as is the amount of industry around them. Cambridge and Silicon Valley all started from nothing. Silicon Valley was Stanford as a middle-ranked regional university in, in a region of uh, fruit orchards. Cambridge was a small market town in the middle of a big agricultural area. So we didn't have anything there like many of these places today, but they, ha- they were built up from, from nothing. I think we can do that. But the one thing which will unleash it, it, unleash it all is actually giving everyone the same access to capital as we've had in the, uh, we've had the fortune to have in Cambridge.
1: Do you think universities banding together and, and, and launching a fund between them would, would help those kind of those universities that are a bit further off field?
0: I think it can help. I mean, even for big universities like us, actually the deal flow from the university it, it, it's marginal. We're lucky that uh, with our when we set up Cambridge Innovation Capital as a bigger fund that we could actually say, well, it can it can support the whole of the, the tech cluster in Cambridge, not just the university, because we didn't have enough deal flow to make a viable fund model. So you do have this deal flow problem. But if you, if you do come together, it can create uh, conflicts and, and pressures, which I think are unhelpful. And that was the great thing about the IP group model. They didn't bring the universities together, but they actually consolidated their deal flow back to investors and then put relatively, were able to put small pots of money. So when I was in Southampton doing it, it was a $5 million fund. That wouldn't be viable. But having people like that acting as consolidators between the universities and um, the investors, I think, is, is, is very helpful. And that allows you then, to, because tech transfer is a contact sport, it's no good sort of having a tech transfer office, which is uh, 20, 50, or 100 miles away. Of course,
1: yes. This is my favorite question, and it, it usually makes interviewees squirm. They, they usually hate it. What are some of your favorite spin outs that have launched out of Cambridge? I know all of your children are your favorite children, but is there any cool technologies that come to mind, perhaps COVID related or, or something from a, from a few years ago?
0: No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a core technology. It's not a question I'd hate either. And I think for me, there is a sort of an unashamed uh, winner in that, and mm-hmm. it's not what you might expect. It's a company we we set up set our academic set up called IC thinking. Okay. Now you've probably never heard of IC thinking.
1: No, I don't think I have. But
0: it is a, a spin out from the uh, from divinity. Okay. And it it's one of those sort of moments which makes people stop and take did I hear that right?
1: Yeah. And it's not
0: only a fantastic company and, and what they're doing but actually it is a demonstration, which is important to me, that this is a game that anybody can play in across the campus. It's not just a, a STEM and life sciences game. Anyone can do it. So what does IC Thinking do? It's Sarah Savage and David Good. Well, it started with how to resolve arguments amongst the bishops in the Church of England. And <laughs> from that, they developed uh, approaches to how do you resolve religious conflicts which, which bedevil the world at the moment. And a lot of it is around black and white thinking. My view yes. conflicts with your view. What they developed was ways of showing that was shades of gray. It's actually there's much more similarity in comparative religions than there are differences. And so taking people through that journey into shades of gray thinking actually tends to defuse all the frictions. And they started to do off this as consultancy, which we supported. And the problem was it was so well respected and demand grew so much that it went outside the, uh, the ability of the academics to uh, deliver and continue with their wow. academic career. So we sat down with them and said, well, why don't we do a franchise model? You actually control the quality, but the delivery is done by franchisees to very high standards that you set. And that was the origins of a company to do that model. And I like it because it's wow. got so many unusual aspects to it. Yes. And it really is fantastic that you can take something like that out of the most unexpected place. If you can do it from Divinity, you can do it from anywhere, and you can make a real impact on the world.
1: That is fascinating. I don't
0: think I have
1: ever come across anything like that. I, you know, there's there's hundreds of cancer research companies and, and they all have their unique little thing that they, they do. And but this is yeah, this is very unique. <laughs> that is that is amazing
0: and it all starts with that with that fabulous part in this job where someone drops in your office or picks up a phone and says can i come and talk to you i think we might have something here wow. interesting yeah and then they lay it all out on the table of you and you just sort of wow
1: <laughs> yeah i can uh, i can imagine that's that's quite a good day in the office when you have someone like that come around <laughs> when we profile you for your Gov Lifetime Achievement Award in 2017. I think you, I did a count, I think you were one of five people who ever received one. So in a, yeah, a very illustrious little group. You made much of the serendipity on, in your life. For those of our listeners who haven't read that profile, and I recommend they go and do that. Can you tell us a bit how that serendipity has guided you from a D field in engineering science at Oxford, of all places, Tony, to heading Cambridge's TTO?
0: Well, I have the advantage of my team. Team wins the boat race every year (laughs) with Oxford and Cambridge uh, both in there. But it would be too long a story to tell unless you've got several more podcasts, which I'm sure (laughs) would have your listeners turning off in droves. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, the one thing I learned in life, we're very fortunate that uh, one door closes, another one opens. I never plotted my career to here. I never expected to be here. But uh, I just tried to do. I've always had this. This mantra of have fun and make a difference, and none of these steps you make are irreversible if uh, if they don't work out. But I mean, uh, I've tried to retire twice in my life, and the first the first attempt, the headhunters got me into uh, into the tech transfer community. I certainly didn't expect to be here 20 years later, and then 10 years later, when I first started to think about it's time to uh, think about moving on, doing something else, I uh, I left and phoned up uh, Terry Wiley, who I mentioned, my predecessor at Cambridge, and said, can I come and talk to you about connecting back into the uh, Cambridge network? And her answer was, you could, but I'm leaving on Friday. Can I get you to talk to our chairman about... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, but, but my life has been peppered with things like that. So um, That is a and good phone call. If you haven't watched it, watch the uh, Steve Jobs speech to the graduands of Stanford University. It's a fantastic speech, well worth listening to. But he says the same thing. You can't join the dots up looking forward, only looking backwards. And thats uh, it was interesting when I saw that, because it came out that we both had the same philosophy and experience.
1: That is a beautiful philosophy to have.
0: You've been in Tech Transfer for about 20 years
1: now, first Southampton and then Cambridge, obviously. What key lessons have you learned in those two decades? And are there any areas that you think still need to be improved? I oh, know that's a big question.
0: Well, there's some simple ones. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of potential in there. But uh, what well, things? I think what I said earlier, have fun and make a difference. I think it's important to realize that you don't have anything other than the power of persuasion in a university. No one has to do what you want. And so uh, it is all about building those relationships and trust relationships across. Another one i say is, is be patient and remember what we're here for. We're not here to file a patent. We're not here to do the best contract in the world. We're here to make sure that the research that our academics uh, do creates that benefit in society to the the best effect possible. And those other things are just tools on the way and mustn't get in in the way of what we do. And the last one, I guess, which I think is important because I get asked to review a lot of uh, offices for governments and uh, organizations around the world is the thing which is most often missing for me and which we're very fortunate to have in Cambridge is actually clarity from the top of the organisation. What do they want the office to do and what's the expectation? Because so many of them, there isn't that uh, clarity. They then become sort of the expectations are that they do all things for everyone. And that's, especially in smaller offices, is something that can never be met. So it is important, I think, to to be clear, to be focused on what you do, what you don't do and hopefully to derive that from the top of the organization rather than sort of make it up yourself.
1: I think that, I don't know if you've read, you probably have read Tom Hockaday's book on tech transfer. Yeah. And uh, I think that was one of the, the big lessons in, in that book as well. You you need to know what your actual mission is and, and what the university wants from you, because otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. So uh...
0: yeah, and, uh, sort of many years ago, sort of, what you're there for is important because my I, I was sort of doing an acquisition of a company, and sort of one of the things it had was loads and loads of lawsuits, and they had a big office of lawyers. And my chairman said to the other side, sort of, do you have lots of lawyers because you got lots of lawsuits, or lots of lawsuits because you got lots of lawyers? And it is if 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 the tool you got is a lawyer, everything looks like a contract. And it is that 's why I say it 's important to remember what we 're here for and it's the contract's just a point on the waypoint on the way to where we're trying to get to
1: i uh I think my last question, yeah, my last question is an open ended one uh whether there's anything that we haven't covered yet that you want people to know about
0: no there, i mean there's lots of things i mean sort of uh, we go on talking and all of your previous guests could have done the same we could have gone talking for hours because we we all love this subject and uh, there's so many nuances it is a very it's probably one of the most complicated businesses I've ever come across, with so many nuances in it. So, uh, no, I just say to sort of everyone out there, sort of keep on going. It's what we do is very important to the world.
1: I think that's that's good closing words. And you know, we'll we'll keep engaging with with you and everyone else, of course. And this is not this is not the only time we will talk to Cambridge Enterprise. So, uh, even if it's not a five hour long podcast, we'll uh, we'll get your uh, we'll get your views and news
0: out there still. <laughs> Well, regardless, thank you for the uh, opportunity today. And it's been a great pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for joining us, Tony. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Heeles. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email tehilis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.